20 years ago, just after the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the crash of Flight 93, I went to church. Where else would I have gone on the Sunday after that Tuesday? I sat with a full congregation with others in grief and disbelief, looking for solace, trying to make sense or meaning, desperately grasping for some understanding and trying to see a way forward after what had happened. The minister that day mentioned that sometimes grief has a language with no words. And then she offered a time of long silence for that. I could hear people breathing, sighing, sniffling. And then in the midst of this silence, or maybe near the end of it, a man, I didn't know him, let out a cry, a louder sigh, a shuddering breath. I'm not quite sure how to describe what my ears heard or how my heart felt. But we all felt it. We knew he was just the one to audibly express it, the grief, the disbelief, the horror, the heartbreak, in a language without words. He got up and left the meeting house soon after. We could hear him sobbing through the doors. Life will break you, writes Louise Erdrich. Nobody can protect you from that. And living alone won't, won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. I imagine that many of us have felt both broken and heartbroken at different points. Certainly in the last 18 months. You know your story. All the things that you have had to do and all the things that you have not been able to do. You know what you have done to survive, what it's taken to make your way through. Louise Erdrich told us life will break us, that nobody can protect us from that, and that living alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning, she says. As she continues, you have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. Parker Palmer writes that there's no way to be human without having one's heart broken. But there are at least two ways for the heart to break, he says. Using heart in its root meaning, not just the seed of emotions, but the core of our sense of self, the center of who we are, our very heart, our very core. The heart can be broken into a thousand shards like a mirror or a glass, and those sharp edged fragments sometimes become shrapnel that we aim at the source of our pain. But with that, the broken heart is then an unresolved wound that we carry with us for a long time. And we can tuck it away and feed it as a hidden wound. And sometimes we try to resolve it by inflicting that same wound onto others. But there's another way, Parker Palmer says, to visualize what a broken heart might mean. Imagine 
that small clenched fist of a heart broken open into the large largeness of life, into greater capacity to hold one's own and the world's pain and joy. This too happens every day. We know that heartbreak can become a source of compassion and grace because we've seen it happen with our very own eyes. Every day, there are those who choose to enlarge their capacity for empathy and their ability to attend to the suffering of others. At the board meeting earlier this month, Michelle Seville asked us to draw a circle on a piece of paper. And around the outside of the circle, we were to write those things that are draining for us, troubling, weighing us down, stressful. And I would say, for me, the things that break our hearts. It didn't take me long to scribble several things that covered the entire perimeter on the outside of that circle, from climate change and pandemic malaise to the more mundane, like my MacBook camera doesn't work and being inundated with email. Well, those two don't break my heart, but they are kind of draining. But on the inside of the circle, we were to write those things that fill us up, places of joy. Parker Palmer might call it the center. Again, I quickly thought of as many things for the outside as I, for the inside, as I did for the outside, places of joy. And then we were asked to list on the line itself, what are those things that we engage in to find meaning, maybe some spiritual practice or activity? The idea being that those things that we engage in to find meaning help us find our way from the outside, from our heartbreak, into the center of the circle, back to our core, back to our joy, back to the center of our heart. And those things on the line, those access places, those are the places of hope, the places that link. So the hope comes from the place where the hurt comes. As you'll hear in our closing song today, and that little exercise demonstrates that so well that, that the hurt is on the outside of the circle and moves through hope to get to joy. Moves from heartbreak to hope to joy. It's the thread that links how things are with how things ought to be. Transforming heartbreak into new life into something that becomes life-giving and life-sustaining is, is the aim of every religious tradition at its best. And Unitarian Universalists are no different. Moving intentionally and consciously from heartbreak to hope can be found in every single one of our UU principles, all of them. It's a deeply spiritual practice. It's a central spiritual task. And Parker, Parker Palmer says that there are three things we have to do to move from heartbreak to joy or to hope or what is life-sustaining. First, we have to acknowledge and name our suffering honestly and openly to ourselves and others. I don't know if you remember, but you've been given several opportunities to do this during our Zoom worship. We have to honor the pain for the world 
our own pain for the world. And we must honor the pain in our own lives, not for the purpose of being fixed, nor of fixing others, but simply to allow ourselves to be received as we are and to bear witness for others to experience the same. Then once we've named that, we have to move directly to the heart of that suffering, directly to the heart of the pain. We have to be with it and to feel it. Rather than turning away from it, we get to learn what it has to teach us and come through it to the other side. And then we must allow the turmoil around us to settle, he says. We can create this microclimate of quietude around us so that our own quiet can engage and we can start listening to that still small voice of all that is holy. My acknowledgement of this today, as much as I love our prelude song, the idea of the clear blue morning, the light of the clear blue morning, and as much as I love Dolly Parton, I'm not always certain that everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I don't think our lives will go back to being the way they were. At least, I hope not. Not all of it anyway. And sometimes I'm scared. I don't sleep well all the time. I worry that I'm in denial about climate change, that I should be doing more before coming to the realization that it's probably too late. I see you. I know you have some of those thoughts too. I see your post on Facebook in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. I know the terror you feel about sending your children back to school. I see you. Reverend Erica Hewitt writes, sometimes the brokenness is immense and the only grasp, the only power we have over that large and complicated pain looming over us is to bear witness, to tell its story, and to seek out companions and helpers who are willing to agree, who are willing to agree that yes, there is something breaking or messy in front of us, and we will not leave or even look away until repair has begun. Joanna Macy offers a spiral for us to follow in order to reconnect to come back to life, she calls it. I have been practicing this for the last year. I've done this with you in services. It begins with gratitude, that spiral, and then, and then it moves to honoring our pain for the world, and then seeing with new and ancient eyes, and then going forth. When we talk about a spiritual practice, it seems like it's this big, huge thing, but it isn't really. It's the simple things that just help us reconnect. It's seeing the world in a new way, connecting with the earth in a way that we haven't, and then coming back, going forth to action to know what to do, it requires action and then coming back to gratitude. 
that simple reconnection brings us back to life, back to our center, moves us from heartbreak to hope toward our joy. I still wonder about that moment in the UU Meeting House 20 years ago, about the man who went outside, what it would have been like if he had stayed, for him to have broken down and to embody for all of us what we were experiencing, to be that vulnerable and for us to be able to, be able to bear witness to that, to not look away, but to hold that space for him and thereby for all of us to let our heartbreak transform into open hearts, into great love and compassion, into moving toward beloved community. Let's work at being that for each other, a place that allows hope to flourish, to nurture, to heal, and then take that out into the world. Life will break you, Louise, Louise Ertrich writes. Nobody can protect you from that. And living alone won't either, for solitude will break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near you, let yourself sit by an apple tree, she says. Let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling are all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself that you tasted as many as you could. The Bingsons capture the essence of what I want to say in this sermon, what I want to say to you in our closing song, Hope Comes. <laughs>